Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Today we are uh, going to continue our uh, long, exhaustive uh, list of message uh, or beliefs that we have as Christians called Creed. This is a message series that entitled Creed that we've been going through. This is week five uh, of it, and uh, I hope that you have been enjoying uh, our message series on uh, the different beliefs that we have. And again, just a sort of a reminder to what we're doing here and why um, is, you know, there's a lot of information in the Bible and a lot that makes up our faith as Christians. And we could boil much of it down into um, the words of Jesus. And that's good. And that's, that's the centerpiece of our faith and really the direction of how we should live our lives. But there is so much uh, more to it that really informs the way that we live and the way that we should be living when we really start to dig in to understand what it is that we believe about things. Because then you begin to see the distinctions in our faith as compared to maybe other faiths and other religions. Uh, and so we're asking the question, what do we believe? And why does it matter? Seeking to kind of marry the, the, the concept of understanding that um, what we believe to be true about God and what it means to follow him. But we're also saying that it's not just knowledge. And I think this is the important thing. I think today's message, I hope, will kind of be a linking factor to that. But this is not just about knowledge. It's really about knowledge combined with the spirit of God within us that has the power to work in us and through us. And that's what we mean when we say that the word of God is living and active. It is that it was breathed on by God. It wasn't simply just something that human beings wrote. It was inspired by the spirit of God and the spirit of God lives within the text and is also within our hearts, which is what allows it to be alive. It's not just words It's the knowledge combined with the words. It's again, right? The marriage of the supernatural and the real. It is is God's spirit incarnating itself in our brains and in our minds to understand and to really transform us into the people that he's called us to be. And so last week, uh, we discussed the person of the son, Jesus, the son in the Trinity. Um, We've been kind of talking about the elements of the Trinity, and the first week was the Father, and this week is the Son, and last week's message was called God Became Man. And so I want to kind of refresh us on what last week's was about, our statement of faith, which again, you can visit our website each week to kind of just check out the statements of faith in, you know, each time. Uh, Last week's about the Son, God Became Man, said this, that Jesus Christ is completely human, but at the same time, he is completely God. He is the only plan for bringing people who are far from God back into a right relationship with God. He lived a perfect life so that he could be a substitution for us in satisfying God's demand for perfection. He defeated death in his resurrection so that we could have life. And so last week, we really summed up the message about the son, Jesus, being that God became man so that we could have true life again. He came to restore the relationship uh, with our creator. Well, this week we're going to be wrapping up the concept of the Trinity with the third person in the Trinity, uh, and that is the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Father and the Son, which are a little bit more concrete, Uh, and today we're talking about a little bit more of a nebulous concept, that is the Holy Spirit. And so the title of today's message is The Holy Spirit, 
God is always present and empowers. God is always present and empowers. And so here's our statement of faith. It's pretty long, uh, but for, for this particular uh, this particular topic, the Holy Spirit, this is what it says on our website. It says, his presence assures us of our relationship with Christ. He guides believers into all truth and exalts Christ. He convicts people of their sin, of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. He comforts us. He gives us spiritual gifts and makes us more like Christ. In addition, the ongoing baptism or infilling is the promise of the Father given by Jesus to empower the church to supernaturally communicate the gospel throughout the earth. And with this regular infilling, the believer has the potential of experiencing various manifestations such as scripturally based prophetic experiences, unknown tongues, and other visible outward signs. Today's message is about the Holy Spirit, and it is entitled, God is Always Present and Empowers. And I don't know about you, but the concept of the Holy Spirit is one that um, has always been a challenge for me to really wrap my head around. Um, I come from a Christian tradition that really embraces the Holy Spirit. I come from uh, the, nom- the denomination, and technically our church is under the umbrella of the denomination of the Assemblies of God. We are a little bit different in that uh, we act a little bit more like a non-denominational church that brings many different groups together. But nonetheless, uh, the denomination of the Assemblies of God is what is considered Pentecostal. And the Pentecostal uh, church in general, not just the Assemblies of God, but very much believes in that the day of Pentecost that we see in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the those in the upper room, uh, that the Holy Spirit was given not just to them, but for all Christians to be empowered and filled in such a way that it should be an integrated daily experience that God can use us in ways that are beyond ourselves uh, to reach uh, the people around us and to edify the body of Christ. And I would agree with that statement. Um, And I think the Bible teaches um, that way. And we'll get into that a little bit today. Now, the problem is, uh, is that the, the person if you could say, the person of the Holy Spirit uh, is what is is in question. Um, There's a lot of question about what the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is, what his function is, and what is still going on, and what do we, and this is what we're going to attempt to kind of walk through a little bit today. Even the word Holy Spirit conjures various thoughts in our minds. Sometimes people call him the Holy Ghost. Well, is he a person? Is he a ghost? Is he God? It seems rather vague. It seems pretty nebulous. Some of us maybe think that the Holy Spirit and the concept of the Spirit of God is weird, um, that it's strange. And what do you mean that he's living inside of me? What does that mean? Um, and I here's what I would say, and this is kind of where I want to where I want to maybe start today. I think the holdup for many of us, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, is really in our assumptions. I think the holdup is in our assumptions, and we maybe make the mistake of thinking that the Bible doesn't talk much about it, whereas in reality, the Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit if we're willing to look. And so that's what I want to do today. But before we do, I wanted to maybe give you a few ideas or thoughts, maybe some constructs that would maybe help you think about the Holy Spirit. And this has been helpful for me. I've tried to think over the years of various maybe metaphors. You guys know how much I love my metaphors and the way that I can put thoughts together to help me understand the construct of something. And so when I think about the Holy Spirit, here are some 
some ways that I think about the Holy Spirit. Maybe this will help you. The first is through what I would consider to be like, it is a broadband direct connection, okay? So like, if you guys are old enough or old enough to know about what dial-up internet was, let me see your hands. Any of you guys ever heard of dial-up internet? So, uh, all right, some, some of us on the call are, others are like, I don't know what you're talking about. So if you've ever heard of America Online uh, or AOL, to get onto the internet, Back then, you used to have to uh, use your phone line to connect, and it would make this horrible sound, and then it would be so slow. And if anybody ever picked up the phone in your house, landline, not cellular, it would kick you off the internet. It was ridiculous. It was so frustrating because it was incredibly slow and you felt like it took hours to get on, to download anything took forever. You never felt like you were able to really get to what you were needing, right? And then the beauty of broadband internet came out. It is a direct connect. It is always connected and it never disappears and it's super fast. When you think of that, the concept of a broadband direct connection, think of the Holy Spirit like it is a direct connection to God. When Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, like we talked about last week, he restored the broadband connection to our creator. Prior to that, all we had was prophets and we had sacrificial systems and that was about it. And that was like the dial-up connections to God. But now we have a direct connection, right? Jesus said in what we said in the scriptures last week that we can come boldly to the throne room of God, right? Direct, think of the Holy Spirit in one way as a metaphor of like a broadband direct connection to our creator. Number two, another helpful example I think of is like glue or like caulking, right? Like in your house, right? It fills in the cracks and it holds things together. The Holy Spirit, we're going to see a lot today, helps me to understand that the Holy Spirit fills in the cracks of my life. If I think of myself as an individual, or we think of ourselves as individuals, of people who are broken by sin and yet restored by God, and every day the Spirit of God is sanctifying us, He is what keeps us together. The Holy Spirit is what is restoring us. It is what is holding us together in the Spirit, in, in, in our faith, right? The Holy Spirit fills in the cracks. It's like the glue and the caulk that, that pulls us together and, and, and it allows us to be able to continue to be restored over and over again. And the third thing that I think about kind of helpful is uh, if any of you have ever seen uh, like the Fast and the Furious movies, there is this chemical that is injected into engines called nitrous or NOS, okay? And this is another aspect of the Holy Spirit that is an empowering agent. Um, if you you have ever been to like an auto zone or to like a, an advanced auto parts, they sell these chemicals that you can pour into your engine uh, that clean out the the engine block. Um, there are and then but then there's these other elements that you can pour to enhance the performance, right? This is kind of what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit acts as an agent in our in our lives that gives us the ability to be an empowered individual, and that's some of the supernatural elements that we'll talk about a little bit later. But these are three. Uh, metaphorical constructs that I hope are helpful for you in thinking about what the purpose is and how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. A broadband connection, glue, caulking that kind of holds things together, and like a, a nitrous boost for our, our Holy Spirit or for our spiritual engine. So with that being said, I want to dive into the scriptural aspects of what the Holy Spirit 
is and see why does it matter? What does it matter with the Holy Spirit? And it's going to be divided into two pieces today, okay? So that really big um, statement of faith, we're going to kind of divide it into two sections to kind of make a little bit more bite-sized for us. But before we do, I want to talk about the, the overall description of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. If you guys want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 is where we're going to be uh, starting today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it's talking about the Holy Spirit here. It says, in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, what does it say about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance, right? So when we think about what is the Holy Spirit in the first place, it is given to us as a down payment, as an inheritance, as a foretaste of what is to come. And we know that the Holy Spirit is always present and it empowers. It is providing everything that we need for every moment. That's kind of the big concept of the day today here, right? Is that the Holy Spirit is always present and empowers. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is always providing everything and anything that we need for any given moment, for every moment. So we're going to divide up our statement of faith today into two main sections. The first that it is always present. So in other words, what is he doing? Always present, doing what? And empowers for what and how? Okay, those are the questions today. Always present, doing what? And empowers for what and how? So our first section is always present. And I love this in Psalm 139, verse 7. The, the, uh, the writer says, where can I go to escape your spirit? That's a great question. God, where, where could I go to get away from you? Where can I flee from your presence. And he's implying there's nowhere I can go. You're always present. You're always there. Even if I don't want you there, you're there. Even when I'm doing the stuff that I wish no one was seeing, I know that you see it. Where can I go to, to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. He is always present. And so the first half of our statement of faith says his presence does what? Assures us of our relationship, guides believers into all truth and exalts Christ. He convicts people of their sin, of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. He comforts us, gives us spiritual gifts, and makes us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is always present. Doing what? Doing what? Well, let's break those down real quickly. The first thing it says is that he assures us of our relationship with Christ. Like the good news is, is that oftentimes, well, this is not the good news. Like we can sometimes doubt it. How many times in your own faith have you wondered whether or not you're really saved? Have you wondered whether or not that God's grace can cover your sin? For those of us who have made terrible decisions, who have done horrible things, who maybe feel a sense of guilt and shame and may perhaps even wrestle with those things still, and you wonder, like, is it enough? The Holy Spirit assures us of our relationship with Christ. Look at what it says in John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, this is Jesus' own words, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So we know that whatever the Holy Spirit says is speaking from Jesus. And then Romans 8, 
verses 14 to 16 says this, for all those who are led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, what did we receive? The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is like dad, like daddy. So when you hear people weirdly say, daddy God, like it's always weird to me to hear people say things like that. But that's the concept, right? That's like, it's not the father, like, Father, would you please do this for me? This is like, Dad, I have a relationship with you. I know I'm your kid and I know you love me. Like that's running into like, Dad, that's the concept, right? The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. You see that right there? The spirit that lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit assures us of our relationship with Christ, that we are his kids, So the spirit of God first just tells us he's always present doing what? Confirming over and over again that we're his children, that he loves us. The second thing it does is it convicts people of their sin, of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Well, that sounds ominous. How do I know that? Well, in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus literally said these words. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't, then the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness and judgment. And he kind of breaks it down. He says about sin because they don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you'll no longer see me. So he's he's gonna talk about how God's holy and righteous. And he's also gonna prepare us for the judgment that there is a day when God will make things right because the ruler of this world has been judged. There is an aspect of the Holy Spirit. So we say it's always present, but what does that mean? Not just making us feel good that we're his children, but also like a parent, making us know, helping us know what is right and wrong, convicting us of sin, always reminding us about God's holiness, like reminding us, pointing back to him going, God is bigger than that. He's better than that. Don't sully his name with that thing or with this action or this behavior or that, that thought. And how my actions, while they may not be hurting me physically, maybe are dishonoring God. So that's the concept of convicting of sin, but also convicting of righteousness and reminding us that there is judgment, that that there is something for those individuals who have rejected Jesus. So like the concept of the Holy Spirit should be convicting us that we need to be reaching our friends, that there is an aspect that like we don't want that for other people. He convicts people of their sin of righteousness and of the coming judgment. He also guides believers into all truth and exalts Christ. John 16, verses 12 to 14. He says, I still have many things to tell you. This is Jesus talking to his friends. He's like, I have lots to tell you, but you can't even bear it now. Like, like there's truth that I want to give to you, but you just wouldn't be able to handle it right now. But when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. How do I know what's right? What should I do, God? How do I know that this person is telling me the truth or not? Or how do I know that that this is right or not? The spirit of truth will guide you. The Holy Spirit guides all believers into truth. And why? Because he will not speak on his own, it says, but he will speak whatever he hears. Because again, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together. He will declare to you what is to come, and he will glorify me. Jesus, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is called the author of truth. Therefore, 
the Holy Spirit will guide believers into truth. If you want to know what is true and what is a lie, the Holy Spirit will confirm that in your spirit, will confirm that in you. The Holy Spirit guides believers into all truth. We keep saying this, that he is always present, always present, doing what? He is assuring us of our relationship with Christ, convicting people of their sin and righteousness and, and the coming judgment. He guides believers into truth and exalts Christ. He also comforts us. And this is great, great news. Jesus called him the counselor in John 14, 26 to 27. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, in other translations, it's called the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and he'll remind you of everything I've told you. You know, we talked about this before. Sometimes when we feel afraid or when we are suffering and we feel far from God, what do we say? That a lot of times it's because we have forgotten what we know to be true. And what does it say here that the Holy Spirit does? It comforts us by reminding us of everything that he's told us, reminding you. And what did Jesus say right after that? Verse 27, John 14, 27, he says, peace, I leave you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. And when you forget about my peace, when you forget about the, the things that I've given you and taught you, the Holy Spirit will comfort you by reminding you what you have been taught. He will comfort you. He will remind you. Another thing that he does and is always present is he gives us spiritual gifts. And I don't want to dive too much into this right now because we'll talk about it a little bit later. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about there are different gifts Different gifts, different ministries, but the same Lord. He talks about how, how one person is given a message of wisdom. Another person is, is given faith. Another is, can pray for those and they'll be healed. And for some are called to be teachers. He talks about the spirit of God empowers individuals with, with spiritual gifts of kindness or peace. And these different things that are designed to edify the body of Christ, but also to manifest in relationships with other people that they see that God is active and alive in us. He gives us spiritual gifts. And finally, as part of the concept of he's always present, is he makes us more like Christ. Every day, the Holy Spirit is pushing us, pulling us down the road a little bit more, saying, come on, this is what Jesus looks like. Be like that. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It's talking about Moses and how Moses um, had to wear a veil over his face because he uh, had seen the, the presence of God. But now because of Jesus, the veil has been lifted and we can now look at Jesus, look at God face to face. And because we're his children, it says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same image. The Holy Spirit living inside of us is like a mirror of Jesus that is transforming us to be like Jesus day after day. That's the idea. Transformed into the image from glory to glory. That is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Because the Spirit of Christ lives inside of us, it's saying that now we can see what Jesus is. We can see a true picture of God because of Jesus. And he lives inside of us. And now the Holy Spirit is making us more like Christ every day. As we look inward at the Spirit, his conviction, his encouragement, his comfort, his truth, all of that reflects to encourage us to be like Jesus. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that he is always present? Why does it matter that he's that he that he that that he's like making us like him and that he's he's convicting us of sin? Why does all of that matter? Well, because 
it reminds us of the of the direct connection that he is like that glue or like the caulk that holds everything together he's everything that we need in every moment every aspect of him being present he's not just there kind of like sitting on the couch like doing nothing like hello are you going to answer me like the holy spirit is always present but always giving us what we need it's always readily available like if we are in fear, he's there giving us peace. If we are uh, in dece deception or a space of where danger of being deceived, there is truth available for us. There is wisdom available for us. There is strength. There is comfort. Like he's always there for us. If we are looking for a way out in temptation, the Holy Spirit will point the direction, shine a spotlight on the space in which we can, the exit, the escape path. The Holy Spirit is always present in our lives. His presence assures us of our relationship with Christ. He is the down payment, the promise of what is to come. He guides believers into all truth and exalts Christ. He convicts people of their sin, of righteousness, and the coming judgment. He comforts us, gives us spiritual gifts, and makes us like Christ. The Holy Spirit is always present. But the second piece, and this is, I think, where it'll be a little bit more um, challenging for us, is the concept of empowers, right? It says that the Holy Spirit, that God in is always present, but he empowers as well. What do we mean by he empowers? Well, this is the second portion of our uh, statement of faith. It says, in addition to those things that we just said, the ongoing baptism or infilling is the promise of the Father given to us by Jesus to empower the church to supernaturally communicate the gospel throughout the earth. And with this regular infilling, the believer has the potential of experiencing various manifestations such as scripturally based prophetic experiences, unknown tongues, and other visible outward signs. So we said the Holy Spirit is always present, giving us everything that we need for every moment, but he also empowers. How? And for what? Like, what is its purpose and how does that happen? Well, first is how. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible tell us about the Holy Spirit? In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So asking seems to be part of it. And then in Acts chapter 8, verses 15 to 18, it says, After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had been baptized in water, right? But they hadn't been given the Holy Spirit yet. And then it says, Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So how is the question we're asking right now? How is someone empowered with the Holy Spirit? There's asking. There's giving and there's receiving. And it's interesting because we saw in Luke, Luke chapter 11 that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a good gift. And then he wants us to see it that way. He says, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit those who ask? And he calls it a good gift, right? So he wants us to see the concept of the Holy Spirit as good. Like it's a good gift. And so the starting point is to ask, how much more will the, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The starting point is to ask for the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered, God. I want to receive your Spirit. I want to see the Holy Spirit operating in my life in the fullness of it. Whatever that means, I want that. 
That's the starting point. If you're like, I don't know how to get there, just start. God, I believe your word talks about the Holy Spirit and says it is to always be present, but also to empower me. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means, but it's a starting point is to ask, God, I want your spirit to do whatever you want to do inside of me. But what for? Why? Like, what is the purpose? What is the purpose and the power for? Well, let's look into that a little bit. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Again, this is Jesus talking himself saying to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses, you will be, power is going to come on you and you will be my witnesses. And that's why our statement of faith says the ongoing baptism is the promise of the Father given by Jesus to empower the church to supernaturally communicate the gospel throughout the earth. Let's see how that has lived out a little bit. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the Holy Spirit came the very first time on the day of Pentecost, which is where Pentecostalism was born, right? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 120 of them were up in, a, in, a, in, a, in the top of a house in like a big room. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated around and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enable them. Now, what I want to focus on here is what happened next. And I'm not going to read it, but in the next verses from four until 18, there was a crowd of people outside who heard the commotion in the upper room. And Peter, now the one who denied Christ, the one who was, who was, who was afraid and the one who was so bold until he was confronted, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up, busts open the shutters on the doors and like preaches the very first sermon, if you will, to thousands of people out in the crowds of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that because of the Holy Spirit inside of him that, in, that had filled him with a boldness and declared the gospel of Jesus. At this point, Jesus was dead and was resurrected and now there was rumors of his of him being like being seen in other places he now preaches the gospel and he preaches to the crowd and people came to know Jesus in a, in the in what we know now as being becoming Christians for the very first time so what we see here is that the empowerment from the holy spirit is there to actively help us communicate the gospel that's its purpose the purpose wasn't to sit in a room and speak in weird languages. The purpose was to be filled with an empowerment and a boldness to be able to bring the Holy Spirit for whatever was needed at any given moment to communicate the gospel. That's the point of the Holy Spirit. It's not so that we could be weirdos. It's not so that we could jump around and sit and you know dance in like church halls. If that's your background, or that's what you've heard about people who believe in the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that is not the intention. No, what we see the intention of the Holy Spirit is so that the authentication of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be delivered. That's what it is, the authentication of the message. And so it says with this regular filling, this is the, our statement of faith, the believer has the potential of experiencing various manifestations 
such as scripturally based prophetic experiences, unknown tongues, and other visible outward signs. For a moment, let's just stop. Let's just intentionally choose to pull back from our assumptions about what all that means. Because I know right now when I hear you guys hear the word prophetic languages or unknown tongues or spiritual manifestations, right away, this like logical block goes up in your brain. I get it. Okay. But let's just stop for a moment and say, what does the Bible say? We're going to analyze that space. Okay. Look what it says in Mark 16, 20. This is when Jesus had breathed on his disciples. He breathed on his disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit, like in a a, a precursor of the Holy Spirit. And he sent them out by twos, right? To preach the good news. And look what happens. Mark 16, 20. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by their accompanying signs. Confirmed the word by the accompanying signs. The whole point of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inside of us, outside of the always present and what it does for us, is that it is to authenticate the message given to others. So what did it look like for them? In the book of Acts, there were various times where they would speak and declare scripture, prophetic messages about what has happened or what is to come based on what scripture shows. They would pray for the sick and they would be healed or there would be various miracles, signs and wonders that would take place um, when they would preach the resurrection of Jesus and then they would say something or do something and it would authenticate the message supernaturally. They would speak in unknown languages and someone would interpret that, that tongue or that language and it would be a sign for them and for unbelievers that God was working in their midst. That's what it looked like in the book of Acts. That's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles, the behaviors of new Christians. They literally went out and did stuff when they preached and then God showed up in supernatural ways. That's why it's called the book of Acts. But my question and the kind of the space that I want to finish or use the rest of our time today is what can it look like for us? What should it look like for us? And this is where that block comes into mind. We're like, well, I don't see a whole lot of miracles happening in my own life. I don't see a lot of people being miraculously healed. I don't see a lot of signs and wonders taking place. Why doesn't it look like it did in the book of Acts. And this is something I can't answer like in a sermon and really don't know that I could 100% answer, nor is that the goal. But I want to give a few thoughts more practically based for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that verse that we kind of, I don't say skipped over, but we did sort of gloss over it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul talks about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to go back and read it here for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse one says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. It's verse four. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by that same spirit. To another person, faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by one spirit to another, the performing of miracles to a yet another person prophecy to another distinguishing between different spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues 
and the list could probably go on. That's the implication is there's like this over and over and over again. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, a manifestation is given to each person. And then it says to one person this thing and to another that thing, all by the same spirit. Different things for each person. It's not always going to look the same. And so my question to you is when we ask this question, we see in the book of Acts, right, that they preached the gospel and they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there were these supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And then we see in the apostle teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 that these things should be manifesting in our lives. Why is it that we feel like we don't? Well, I want to ask this question. Are we even open to a supernatural response? Are we even open to it? And if not, maybe that's in part why we don't see them. Now, that's not the entire story. I get that. I know that there is more to this picture, okay? But think of it for a second. Doesn't that make sense? Like, if I don't even think that God would heal someone when I pray, chances are, probably not going to spend much time praying for someone to be healed, right? I'm not going to step into circumstances where God might want to do something. If I don't even think that God might want to speak a word of knowledge about a person, I'm not going to probably be listening for it. I'm not going to seek that. Are we open to a supernatural response or have we just dulled ourselves, closed ourselves off, turned off that channel? I mean, we allow the Holy Spirit to do other things in our lives, but this space. Uh. Also, another reason, possible reason why we don't see these things happening, we get frustrated in our own lives. I prayed for the sick. They weren't healed. There was no miracle there. You know, I asked God for a vision and I didn't get one. We also have a tendency to see one person do something. And then we think that, like, we think that, that we should all do it. Like that, we tend to think that that's the case, right? Like, is it possible that maybe we're trying to operate in a way that God has not called us to individually? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for the sick because that's the responsibility for all of us as Christians is to pray for the sick, right? God calls us to pray. We know that. God calls us to be open to his spirit, to use us at any any given moment. But what does the scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 say? It says to one person, the gift of miracles. To another, the gift of prophecy. To one person, the gift of peace. Another, the gift of faith, right? Maybe that same spirit certainly can, in one moment, activate something that maybe, you know, he doesn't do in you very often. But chances are that if you're not the one who has the gift of healing, that when you pray for the sick, they're probably not going to be miraculously healed because you don't have the gift of healing, Right? But we see that in scripture, and yet we live in a society that where we tend to think that when we see one person do something, and sometimes that person teaches that the others should do it, that we all should be doing the same things. But that's not what 1 Corinthians 12 says. It says that each person has their own gifts, their own rules, their own, their own responsibilities. And so what I would say to you is this, perhaps spend less time thinking why God isn't using me like someone else and spend more time asking God how he wants to operate in you. But it has to start with the question of, do I even think that God wants to 
use me in a supernatural way? Is there a space in which God might want to do something supernatural through me? And that's a question you're going to have to answer yourself. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit was given to empower us. But if we don't even open ourselves to the possibility that God might want to do something supernatural like he shows in the Bible, then you better be darn sure that he's not going to do something in your life because you're not giving him the space to do it. And here's what I would say is this. If we theologically believe that God still wants to operate in this way, then perhaps we should start by asking. If you don't believe that theologically, well, then this, the rest of this message really isn't geared around where you're at. And that's okay. That's where you have to wrestle with that. You know, I believe that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit was given to all Christians for all time as a down payment, as an inheritance to empower the gospel to be preached throughout the world until his return. And so if I theologically believe that, and I would invite you to consider this, that if you theologically believe that God still wants to operate in this way, and I say that it does because I have seen miracles. I have seen them in my own life. I have been to other parts of the world, and there seems to be something also about the way that other countries um, maybe are less uh, less reasoning, less intellectually focused, and there seems to be more of a supernatural welcoming. I don't know. That maybe seems to have to do something to do with it too, because I have seen people, uh, there have been miracles. I've seen signs and wonders. I've seen those more pronounced in other places. So if I theologically believe that God still wants to operate in this way, then perhaps we should start by asking, right? What does it say? Like if the father who is a good God wants to give good gifts to his children, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask God to reveal to you how he wants to use you to share the gospel. It could start with something as small as, God, I have this friend. I care about them. I love them. I don't know how to reach them for you. They know I'm a Christian. They know I go to church. Like they know that. They know it's a vibrant part of my life, but there's no space that they seem to want to know more. They don't seem to ask those questions. Go back to the source. God, how, how do you want to reveal yourself to that person? How can I proclaim the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Not that Jesus loves you. The concept of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the power that comes through living a life for him. How can I proclaim that to my friend? I believe that if we ask, over time, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal to you. And it may not be that he wants you to pray for the sick. It might be that he just wants to give you a word of wisdom for that person. Hey, you know, I was praying for you this week. And uh, I don't know, take it for as it is. But I felt like God said this about your circumstance. Or a word of knowledge. Perhaps God might reveal to you an unknown piece of information about an individual or about a circumstance that you have no way of knowing without the spirit of God revealing that to you. That's a word of knowledge. We see that in scripture. Um, perhaps if you're listening, he might reveal something like that to you. Maybe not. Perhaps it's, it's an incredible faith. It may be that you go through a circumstance that is very difficult and would crumble another individual. Man, you're like, I don't want, I don't want to welcome that. Right. But perhaps God has filled you with the spirit of faith, with the gift of faith, so that you stand firm in that moment and your friend will see that you were relying on the rock of God. 
And that is what he will use to be the spiritual manifestation. We like to think that this Holy Spirit is only in miracles, but there were so many other manifestations, supernatural manifestations. A word of prophecy, a word of encouragement, a word of knowledge, divine wisdom, faith. These are also supernatural representations, manifestations of the Spirit of God. If we're willing to hear God tell us what those things are for us, it could be a prophetic word. It could be specific discernment about something. And it could be speaking in tongues or interpretation. There's all kinds of stuff. And I recognize that we're only scratching the surface in many of these topics that some consider to be controversial. My goal today was not to dive into controversy. My goal was to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. If we ask God, he may not say you're to pray for the sick and to see them healed. So you wouldn't pray in a way as though you expect him. This is such a fine line. If God has not given you the spirit of like the gift of healing, hear what I'm saying to you. If God has not given you the gift of healing, when you pray for someone and you do it in a way that would like indicate that they're going to be healed supernaturally, I think you do that person a disservice. When you pray for that person, can I pray for you? I believe that God and then you just pray, God, would you touch this person? Help them get over their cold or the sickness. We pray in Jesus' name, they would be touched and they would get better. That's a different kind of prayer than the one of the gift of healing, right? I recognize what I'm saying here is a little bit challenging and it may be different than what you've taught, but I think that's what scripture teaches. To one is given this, to another is that. We are called to operate in boldness with the gifts that God has given us. And the other gifts, if we hear in faith that God says kind of one-off circumstances to do something that's not our usual we should step out in faith in that space. But scripture seems to indicate that like there are spaces that God has called each of us. And so maybe that helps answer the question. We see in the book of Acts these things, and yet I don't see them in my own life. Some of it might be because we're not asking God. We're not even open to the idea that he might want to use us supernaturally. But also we might be focusing in spaces that God isn't even given to us to operate in. And so the only way to know that is to ask to receive what God has given us, and then to respond in faith. Whatever is needed in that moment for that person, not what was needed for someone else in a different time. Whatever is needed for this person, God, for my friend, John, I want him to know Jesus. For my neighbor, Patrick and Sarah, they're in my heart. God, I want to reach them this spring, this summer. What can I do? How can I proclaim the gospel to my neighbors this spring and this summer and then this, into this year? What is it that you want to do? And perhaps God might speak something into my life. Perhaps he delivers the gift of faith that maybe we go into this tumultuous time. I don't want that, but perhaps that is a space in which I will live that out. It might be a word of knowledge. It could be anything that God puts into you, but it won't be what your friend did or what that pastor at the other church did or what someone in Africa did. That's not how it works. I hope you find that to be maybe encouraging for you. I don't know, maybe I'm pulling the roots up and you're like left with like a, a field of dirt that you're like, man, he just uprooted everything that I thought. I don't know. And this is not my goal to, my goal is just to, to try to examine what I believe scripture teaches and to put it in a practical way that applies to us and helps us see what we're actually called to do. Okay. So let's wrap up all, everything that we talked about today. With this regular and filling, the believer has the potential of experiencing various manifestations such as scripturally based prophetic experiences, unknown tongues, and other visible outward signs. The Holy Spirit empowers. That's the second piece. So let's pull it all together. His presence 
assures us, the Holy Spirit is always present. He assures us of our relationship with Christ, guides believers into all truth, and exalts Christ. He convicts people of their sin, God's righteousness, and the coming judgment. He comforts us. He gives us spiritual gifts, and he makes us more like Christ. He is always present. In addition, the ongoing baptism or infilling of the Spirit is the promise of the Father given by Jesus to empower the church to supernaturally communicate the gospel throughout the earth. And with this regular infilling, the believer has the potential of experiencing various manifestations such as scripturally based prophetic experiences, unknown tongues, and other visible outward signs. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit is always present and empowers. It's a direct connection. It's the glue and the caulk that holds it together. And it's like that nitrous boost that gives us the energy and the strength, the empowerment to do things, to, to preach the gospel in whatever circumstance is needed. Whatever is needed for you and for those around you in any given moment is what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for sending your spirit. I know that, you know, most of us feel like, and like the disciples did too, well, why'd you have to go away? It would be so much easier if you were just with us every day, Jesus. If, like you lived in my house, if you went to work with me. But, you're, but Jesus specifically said, it's for your benefit that I go away. If I don't, I can't send the counselor. I can't send the comfort. I can't send the Holy Spirit. And so you have. And now the spirit of Christ, of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, is with us at all times in every place as the third person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we worship you, Holy Spirit. We give you praise and glory. We thank you that you are always present, affirming our relationship with you, showing us what is wrong in the areas that we need to work on, showing us the glory of God, convicting us of those things, but also projecting outward on the things that are wrong in our world and what we should do about them, making us more like you. And then that other area, that empowerment, the area that maybe is a little bit like we're timid with it. Perhaps we're weirded out or we are not sure what we think about it. We ask that you would confirm the words that were spoken here today. I, my prayer as a pastor was that these words were not mine, but they, they would be fueled. They would be laced with your spirit so that they would ring as true as they connect with your spirit and others. So God, whatever was spoken today that is true, let it be something that would that would settle and seal in our hearts. We just ask that you would help us to ask for your Holy Spirit, to ask for the Spirit to, to be a, a greater fullness and operate in a greater fullness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to participate in communion here now. If you guys have your uh, your elements with you. Just kind of keep this moment here just for a moment, and then we'll kind of have our a short discussion on our topic today. I think the thing that I want to say the most about communion today specifically, I always try to find ways to link in uh, our what we're talking about and how communion can be a representation of that. Um, Jesus specifically said, right? He said, unless I go away, I can't give you the comforter. He won't be coming. And so the aspect of, of uh, communion, right? It says, do this 
until I return, right? Do this in remembrance, right? So I will proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he returns. The concept of communion is that it's the bread of his body and the juice, the blood of the cup, right? Jesus on the cross and his resurrection ultimately is what gave us the ability to have the spirit of God commune with us on a regular basis. And so that's what we're doing here today is we're remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can have the spirit of Christ living inside of us today. And we thank him for that. So let's just close our eyes as I lead us into this. So we take the, the bread. The Bible says that on the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a meal with his, the Passover meal with his disciples. And he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he passed it around to them and said, take this and eat for this is my body that was broken for you. And as we eat this, we remember his, the beating that he took and his beard that was pulled from his face and the crown of thorns that was put on his head, you know, the, the physical agony and anguish he went for. And we think to ourselves that our sin is covered because of the brokenness of Jesus, that we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. We thank him for, for that. Let's eat together and remember as we eat the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your brokenness. We choose to identify with you that you are our Lord. You are our Savior. In the same way, he took a cup and he drank it and he gave it to them and said, take this and drink for this cup symbolizes my blood. It is shed for you. It is a new covenant. I like to say it's a new deal. It's like a new contract. The Holy Spirit seals it in us, right? So that concept of the down payment what we're waiting for, the assurance of what is to come, that is the take to take, take possession of it, the restoration of all things where we will be made holy, fully made perfect again, return to the way things that were designed to be. That's the foretaste. The Holy Spirit shows us little bits of that and is made possible because of the blood that was shed on the cross that covers our sin. And we are now children, Abba. We cry out, Abba, Dad, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's drink together and thank him for his sacrifice. Praise you. Thank you. We are washed clean. Our sin is forgiven. We have been redeemed because of the blood of Jesus. We thank you for it. And Father, as we now close this time and kind of discuss and try to process a little bit about what we have heard today, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We remember who you are. We give you glory and praise. Just ask that you would enlighten us supernaturally so that we can understand and be challenged to live in greater ways and be more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.